When I did Star Wars, I consciously set about to recreate myths and the, and the classic mythological uh, motifs. The Force is the core of Star Wars, and you have to be careful when you answer too many questions about it. And concept design, I think, is so critical. I mean, it's something that perhaps is underappreciated because it sets the template, it sets the aspirational goal for what the movie should be. posture there it is ken here we are we're back as we always are awesome 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 so so hello everybody hello everybody and welcome back to the the forces behind star wars as hopefully all of you know i'm ken one of the hosts of this podcast and today we're recording a special episode not that the rest of them haven't been special but this one is especially special um and typically we talk about the makers of star wars and the things that they've made well tonight we're going to turn the camera around and i have the honor of interview interviewing Anthony Gowd, <laughs> one of the one of the other hosts of the podcast. So Anthony, how are you tonight? Hey Ken, this is an exciting night for me. It's never just you and I anymore. We you and I started this thing, and it's yeah. never been. I don't think we've ever done it by ourselves. Just maybe the first one, or maybe two. I, I can't even remember. No, when I don't did even Demetrius think. I think we had Demetrius in the very beginning. Hmm. I remember we spoke to um, Mike Hinton. And that's what John Scalise a couple of, and that was just you and I. Yeah, so this is this is really an opportunity for us to, to us and all of our listeners to get a a better sense of, of of you as a as a maker and some of the connections that you have to Star Wars. So hopefully you're ready to be in the hot seat. I, I am. I still can't believe we have listeners. That's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> and actually, before we even get into the the interview part, where I. I I, I bombard, bombard you with a whole bunch of different questions. I do want to ask you a question about this show. And so when we got together all those years ago, it was probably three years ago at this point. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, wow. it's, it's, it's quite incredible. To oh, that's right. It was before COVID. That's right. Yeah, we were able to walk around without masks on. Wow. Yeah. You know, so when, when we were starting the idea of the show, did you think we would be where we are? Do you think we would have done all the things that we've done so far? My philosophy on everything, and this isn't just a show, but I never really think about um, things that way for anything. Like I never really, I guess my wife would say, I never think then thinks things through. Um, but I don't ever think about it. I just do it, and then to see where I, wherever it ends up, it ends up. So I never really think where we're gonna be. So I never go back and think, oh my god, what a surprise! Because to me. You know, it could be a million fans. It could be one episode, and we're now like it. I just never really think about it, so I never really thought of it that way. But I, I use that. I think that way for everything that I do. Okay. You know, well, everything I do that... could be a disaster. It could be a success. Let's just find out. Let the magic happen as it happens. Uh, I think it's, a lot of it was being disappointed by not achieving what I wanted to achieve in life. And and that kind of started that mindset of just let it whatever happens happens, and I think that's where I am now. Well, we've managed to, to muddle through twenty nine episodes, counting this one. You know, yeah, so we, we became really good at it. Actually, that last episode we talked talking about it a little bit last night, even though I couldn't log into the Inflatable Falcon, the the episode, the kind of drama and effort that went through for 
um, the Georgia Awards was just incredible. It was so much fun. And when you think about it, it's just us, but it felt different. It felt a lot more special than, than just us on a regular night. Well, and for me, and I, I, I'm, I'm right now goosebumpy uh, talking about it. Just seeing the the polish of that episode, the the effort that that Dexter put into the art, the effort yeah. that you put into the script, the, the 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 silliness and fun that Stephen had as the host, and the fact that we were able to get John and Mike in yep. to, to participate in the fun, because I mean, you know, truthfully speaking, we owe a lot of our 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 success and and comfort to this to Mike Hinton for for helping getting us you know, set down that path. And I owe a lot to, to John and Mike with all the practice I get on the Inflatable Falcon with them. So it, it just felt natural to have them as part of the show. And I am sad that that uh, Demetrius wasn't able to join us because I understand schedules and everything, but it was it was a fantastic time. Yeah, he's always working. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a machine, that guy. And so now I would like to, you know, I, I know I mentioned I'm going to turn the camera over and, and around and, and, and talk about you. So Star Wars has been around for a while, you know, 40 plus years. And so what are some of the ways that you connected to Star Wars as a as a kid? What are some of the things that you remember? What are the things that fascinated you about about all this glorious universe? Well, it's not a great story, but it's a true story. Um, when I was a kid, we were very poor. So we grew up in the Bronx and we just didn't have a lot of money. Uh, and we didn't have a lot. And we, I think we lived with our grandmother and grandfather uh, on Grand Concourse Street. And one day, I don't have a lot of memories from that time, but the one that I do have uh, is one that I actually used to, to, when I got hired at Hasbro, they asked me a very similar question to what you just asked me. Because at the time, we were fighting to get the Star Wars license back. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it until that interview. But when we saw the movie uh, in that summer, 77, we came home and my mother had already bought, my parents had already bought the toys. So when we got home, they, you know, we had all the, the whatever, six figures, eight figures, whatever was out. And I had a Death Star and I had all the you know, the main toys, whatever was out at the time. We didn't go opening day. It was much later than that, like summer instead of the, the spring. A lot of people didn't know what Star Wars was back then, right? Like, So at some point we went in the summer and I had the toys. And when I came home from the movie, the toys were there. And I didn't realize until I was much, much older, specifically when I went to that job interview with uh, Hasbro, I was 25. 24 24 when i got that job was the first time i really thought about how much money my parents must have spent that they didn't have and how lousy our apartment was and really our lives were pretty lousy back then but i didn't see any of it because i was so lost in their star wars figures so when i was telling that story at hasbro which was the first time i'd ever really thought about it i started crying <laughs> In your interview. In my interview. I, I'm still friends. Like Kevin Maurer, I was just talking to him two days ago. Is one of my is my mentor, one of my best friends. He was the one that he, he was vice president at the time. But I started crying because 
I never really had thought about it up until that moment. How much effort and, and, and you know, love my parents put into getting me those toys, partly to, to so I didn't see the reality of the real world. And, and that started uh, like a lifelong love affair for Star Wars for me, you know? At that point, it was it was everything. It was my alternate universe. When the real universe wasn't that great, that was the alternate one. A little more serious than most people who, oh, you know, hopefully more serious than most people. But for me, that was just an escape, you know, and a whole bunch of other stuff I'm not going to get into. But you can imagine pretty bad life as a kid. It was really bad. But you have an escape. And that's what I used it for. So how did you get from the Bronx to New Jersey where you, you came into to contact with, with, with Dex and Steve? My dad opened up resorts. So he was, he went to NYU. Um, he got a scholarship to go to NYU and he got out. He got a job offer to open up resorts casino back in 78. He moved first and then we moved in 79. I was 10. And that's when we moved down to South Jersey. And then eventually I met Dex in fourth grade. So I've known him um, since fourth grade. I've known Steve since about sixth or seventh grade. And Demetrius I met in college, the freshman year. So, so let's talk about some of the time. With, time. Talk about the, the you know the 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 time in the seventies and eighties when when Star Wars was fresh for everybody, um, and well, having... I actually met Dex because of Star Wars. So I was in fourth grade at uh, Slayball School in EHT. And there were some kids, I was really skinny. There was some, I wish I was still skinny. There were some kids picking on me. Um, and a friend of ours, Bill Wilcox, intervened. And they were picking on me because I was playing with Star Wars toys in the in the, um, in the the yard, in the schoolyard. I, I actually remember what it was. It was that green lizard, uh, Tatooine lizard. And um, he intervened and he was already friends with Dax. And that's how I met Dax. Wow, all over a dewback. All over a dewback, yeah. And people, it's funny because back then, it was fourth grade. I couldn't imagine someone bullying somebody in fourth grade now because the times are so different now. Like bullying now is like really bad. People don't do it. But back then, it was like a way of life. Like we, you were in the 80s, you're on your own. Good luck. But today, it's like a crime, you know, might as well be illegal. But back then, it was something we were very used to. So your kids stuck together, and they they protected each other. They were just like the movie Goonies or or like Mosquito Coast. <laughs> and yeah. so you, you you hung out with them as as kids, went off to college, and so how did you get connected with Hasbro, Kenner, and ultimately Demetrius? Well, with Dexter, Dexter, Dex, Bill, and a whole bunch of a group of friends, we stayed together forever. I mean, we. Really, I lost touch with Dex when I went to college, but Dex and I are both artists. And at the time, we were very competitive with each other at the time. Then I went to design school. He went to art school in Philadelphia. I went to Cincinnati. And that's where I met Demetrius at design school. Um, but before that, I would, you know, we were extremely close friends, Dex and I. Every weekend we would hang out together. I would ride my bike. You know, in EH, if, if you know the distance, if you know where, like, um, 
Navefec is. I live around the circle and I would ride all the way to Penny Point. And that's that's not a short distance. No, and, and that was back before cell phones and beepers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I just got on my bike and we headed out. And we, we did it all the time. He would come over, I would go over there, you know, and we would always be in a pack of three, four, five, six people. Um, and there were some times when we just had weekends where we would just draw. I would bring over my packet, my pack of uh, art and markers and stuff. And markers, we were always buying markers. And we would watch the train. I remember, and I still have it on one of my walls here, the, the trans. I think you've seen it, the Transformer picture, one of the first Transformers pictures I drew, like in sixth grade. Um, and it was one of those things that we would just hang out and just draw. And that would be the entire weekend. We put on like Kung Fu Theater and all that goofy. He loved wrestling. Oh my God. He used to watch wrestling all the time. <laughs> It's real, man. And then um, I didn't like the wrestling, but he loved the wrestling and horror movies. And we do sleepovers constant, constantly. Um, and then when we went to college, we just sort of split up because I left the state, you know, so I moved away. But then we reconnected when I got when I moved back here, which was in 2000. So shortly after that, we reconnected, and he could he continued doing the artwork. That's why he's so great at it. And I, I went into the art director mode because I did not think I was as good as other people. Well, we can talk about that later, I suppose. But I had to make a career choice at some point, and I chose not to be an artist. I chose to be an art director because it was a, it was safer career for me. And so where did you said you went to school in Cincinnati? Is that how uh, the experience with 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 Hasbro and Kenner came in? Like, how did that happen? Well, Demetrius and I went to industrial design and engineering courses at University of Cincinnati, where we made a whole bunch of other friends that we still are friends with. I met him freshman year. Uh, we were the course is five years long, not four. So we were together for five years and he was like my brother. You know, I would go to his mother's house for dinners and it was just something he was probably the closest person I was to in college other than my girlfriend. And uh, Hasbro, which was known as Kenner, shortly before that time, Hasbro was about two miles away from the University of Cincinnati. And our the reason it was five year program was because you had to intern for a year but it would be every other quarter once you reach the the end of sophomore year so you went school for a quarter intern school intern school intern until you went for a full year of internship so you're and essentially just learning and applying learning and applying yeah and it was real internships like you were working and and you weren't just getting coffee you were working in my I did not intern at Hasbro, but my first internship was with Swearingen Osborne and Effler, the people that just left Kenner. Um, and we were doing um, toys. I did uh, a, a lot of, I can actually go, you want to see the portfolio? I actually yeah, have please, it. that'd be fantastic. So that was my first job. And other people worked in Hasbro, and I was always very jealous. I mean, I love working for Soda, Swearingen, Osborne, Effler Design. I love working for them. But the guys over at Kenner, they were doing Jurassic Park, and they were doing like all this incredible stuff. Aliens, remember that? The aliens, um, the, 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 the aliens where they kind of remixed the aliens, and they did the Scorpion alien, and they did. So all the guys were doing that stuff. 
and I really, really, really wanted to work there. Um, but I couldn't get, they didn't have internships available. So I did my second internship at Sega of America, where I, I went, I interned at Mad Magazine. Remember that? <laughs> really? Yeah, I did. I, 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 that's pretty exciting. For three or four months, whatever that quarter was. And then I did an internship at uh, an actual design house, an engineering and design house in, in um, um, Columbus, Ohio, which I didn't like very much. It was real design work, and I just didn't like it. I, I always liked the, the the adventures and the stories and stuff. So I just thought, you know, I know I'm going to engineering and design school, but this isn't really for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually tried to quit. And and someone who worked there as a janitor actually got me to stop because I called my dad on his paid phone, and I said, "Dad, this isn't for me. I just did a really horrible project." I said, "Dad, I just can't do this." And my dad surprisingly said, yeah, if it's not for you, I'm not going to stop you. Um, and I hung up and I was crying. There's a lot of crying stories. And the the janitor, his name is Stanley, came up to me. We all knew Stanley. He came up to me and he said that I was selfish, that I had more privilege than anybody in his family ever had, and that um, I had an obligation to succeed because I had the chance to succeed. So I had the obligation to succeed. And he said something that I will never, ever forget verbatim that is so true. That is the most wise thing anyone's ever said to me. And it just happened to come from someone who at the time was a janitor. He said, if you don't see it in here, you'll never see it out here. And that always, always, always stuck with me. Um, I actually had it on the wall in my old office at the Disney studio. It, it, it's, it's, it's the truth. If you don't imagine it, you can't see it, but he got me to stay in school. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so how did, how did Stanley come into your life other than him? He just hurt. He just, over, well, we all knew him from, from school at the university of Cincinnati. He was always, you know, in hallways and stuff. And he knew a lot of the kids and he overheard the conversation I was having with my dad. It would have been like sophomore year, right before the internship started. I was ready to quit. I really did. I really wanted to quit. That is so wild. Like, he got a, my mind. I am a firm believer in things happen the way they're they're supposed to, and you can. Well, like when you and I met. Yeah, very, very much so. That's another another fantastic example of that, and when the time is right and if you're open to the possibility crazy things like that can and do happen mm -hmm. i mean this this person that you came into contact with in passing from time to yes you knew names and stuff like that however for him to be there to witness the phone conversation to witness your response to the phone conversation and then be brave enough and when i say brave uh, it's from the perspective of he doesn't really have to tell you anything. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to encourage you. He doesn't have to talk to you about it at all. He can simply just go on about his business while while you're over whimpering in the corner. He was brave enough to step in, step up to you, and 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 share those words of wisdom that you you've held on to for all these many years and are are kind enough to share with us. I think it was out of frustration for him because he sees. I mean, if you listen take for granted what he said 
a lot of people in his family never had the chance to to have the chance, right? It's like that line from Star Wars, find a way. It's another great line in Star Wars, find a way to find a way. But some people never find, get a chance to get a chance. And I think his frustration was watching somebody that he probably felt was much more privileged than anyone in his family squander it because it was hard. Um, and And it really changed my life. I mean, literally changed my life that one conversation. So let me show you the portfolio. Hold yes, on. please. This is my old portfolio. Where is that Zoom button? Here it well, it'll be new for all of us. All right, so this is my old portfolio. So I think I gotta go backwards when I was saying Yep. And were these drawn- oh, There's all out of order, sorry. I'm just gonna go back to the beginning. <laughs> Were these drawn like on paper with with markers? Uh, and yeah, all these are. Yeah, none of these are digital. I think the digital okay. ones are at the end, but I had just learned digital. So, so these are. This is a TV show that we sold to Comcast and never got made, uh, for reasons that I am not allowed to talk about. There was a lawsuit um, between partners that uh, I'm probably allowed to talk about. I'm just not going to talk about it. Sure, fair enough. But this was sold, and and we kind of sabotaged it a little bit ourselves. This is growing up creepy. These are my drawings, right? So you see the drawings in the back, sketches, and and actually Guy Vasilovich did this background. These are all intellectual property development. This is Dragon Booster, which was on Disney, uh, ABC Family, um, Disney Kids. Is that what it was called? Did a couple of different shows. These were concepts that we did over at DAG Entertainment with Chris Woods. Some shows, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of shows get pitched for every 10 shows that get pitched, one gets made. If you're very, very good, if it's a thousand to one, is usually what they, what I was told. So you see a lot of this old art. This is when I was a uh, art director of Asheron's Call one of the first online, multi massively multiplayer online games. I must have did thousands of drawings for this, thousands of drawings. Uh, and these are right up there with like the 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 Doug Tang and Ian McCraig kind of art. Doug's a lot better than me. I, I do, my specialty is probably, I'm probably more original than Doug. I hate to say that, but, uh, but he's a much better artist. So which one are you gonna take? Um, my art, Technique is not that good, but I create things. I'm really good at creativity. So I get a lot of crazy stuff coming out of my head. You know, so this is some, a Sega, canceled Sega game. What was it called? Uh, I don't remember what this game was called, but it was an MMO. So that was kind of cool. And this is Reboot. If you've ever seen the show Reboot, this is Bob. Funny enough, if you can see the camera, I actually have Bob right here. <laughs> We're just doing the the making a reboot documentary. I just happen to have them here. But see these drawings in the back. This is my style. Like I don't finish stuff. Like Dex will do beautiful finished line artwork. I don't do any of that stuff. I do very sketchy stuff, which is why I um, I just don't have a steady hand. I never I never had a steady hand. So this is a lot of the stuff from reboot more Asheron's call. Like this is the kind of stuff that I love doing. Like these kind of weird creatures and these jaw traps and stuff in the back you can't see there. It's like a Venus flytrap dinosaur. Yeah, well he was sitting there and he would hide and you step in and he would chew your leg off. And I would art direct these sort of 
these magazine covers. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, I actually have them upstairs. The game, like PC Magazine is one of them. And the other one, this is all for Asheron's Call. And then this is uh, some production artwork for Reboot, the binomes. Everyone loves the binomes. We did the tower, Megabytes Towers in the back. More Reboot stuff. So if you look here, this is like sort of a like an environmental drawing. These are, this is where I just, I would just get, I would lose track of time doing drawings like this. Because I would start thinking like the page is a real world. And I would just draw. And hours would go by and I would never notice it. My favorites, though, are vehicles. So I love doing vehicles. So this is a show called War Planets. Um, and I would love to do these these really kind of sketchy vehicles and figure out how they functioned and stuff. I love this one. This is this one actually, all these made it onto the show. So these are all like, this is the real show. This is drawing. Um, but yeah, these, these reward planets were some of my favorites. And you see here, there's like a volcano with a city underneath it. Just some really, really fun stuff that we did. And you would have to do this within like, you would have like a day to figure out. <laughs> Maybe two days if you were lucky. We need a set design for the tropical, you know, the ice city. What's it look like? I don't know, but you got two days <laughs> to figure it out. Okay. Ready, go. The ice tank. Uh, this thing was just great. It rolls up into a little ball. Like a destroyer droid? Uh, well, you know, there, you're going to see something in a second that's going to probably surprise you. Yep. For some reason, I remember when I did this, we needed this in about three hours, and we went into production with these ice people, and uh, we just, for some reason, Ian, the, the director, just didn't like the helmet that they had. I remember I did like 50 helmets in about an hour. <laughs> and he finally picked one in. So there's like 50 helmets, like all these pieces of paper. What about this one? What about this one? What about this one? And he finally picked one, thank God. Um, and that was it. You see this ice? He's riding like his ice guy here. Looks like a giant flea or something. Yeah, but that's what it was. I mean, actually, here's here's ahead of it, right? It was on the script. It said it's a giant flea-like animal. <laughs> Yeah, so we we would do this like all day. Um, this is production artwork for the posters and stuff. This is animation magazine cover. Uh, this was like a, a predecessor. This is a movie that we did. Um, and these are the posters that we designed. I did all the layouts for these. This is something that we just started at the time called a website. <laughs> <laughs> Our website for the time, this is 1995, 96 for this website, we had one of the best looking, I think we won an award for best looking websites. We went all out. I mean, if you look at this, at the time, websites weren't that great, but we just put everything into it. And then we did all these ads. We were doing ads because uh, we were actually competing with Industrial Light Magic because they did the first CG in movies, and we were we were the first CG in television. So our shows are in the Smithsonian. I say ours. Our studio shows were in the are still in the Smithsonian, but um, we were always competing with them. So when we ran ads, we would try to beat their ads, and I was the doing I was doing all the layouts. So we ran a series of ads called Heavy Metal CGI, which was all about the robots, 
and people really like those ads. So there's some of the Transformers artwork. Um, this is from the TV show. So you see some sets and doors, and here's Rat Trap. Here's the drawing, and here's a, the, the thing on the show. Here's some of the original Transformers. Here's Optimus Primal. <laughs> some of the stuff. I mean, th there are hundreds of drawings that went behind this. I'd probably even say more than hundreds. One of the early directions for Transformers before it was Beast, it was like these kind of elemental vehicles. This is like a firecopter. Just learning how to use Photoshop at the time. We did the the the. Yeah, I think you've seen these, right? The Elseworlds line. I, did the, I have seen those. Yeah. Yeah, I did all these figures. There's like eight of them. I won an award for this one, which is my first ever action figure. I this is I wouldn't even call it an action figure. It's more like a statue. There's Bane in the back. I did Bane. Here's Catwoman. Here's Catwoman here. Catwoman was interesting because I had just gotten, I was working in the Transformers and I wanted to figure out how to do a transforming character into Batman. And the her panther, her cat, transforms with or without it. It's a suit and it also stands on its own, which I thought was pretty clever. Wow. Um, and then here is the Batbike. I wish... I wish, I wish I still had this. This was a very, like, I remember Jim Lee came into our studio one day and he said, like, it was his favorite toy of all time. And uh, I, we had some of these and I came back from Cincinnati to come visit my parents and we were at a Christmas party and I had a box of them in my car and someone stole them. So, <laughs> no. Yeah, that sucks. But I've been able to buy a lot of these back. Like, if you look at my wall, I actually have them back there. But uh, I never got that vehicle back. Oh. And then if you look here, the so the original Star Wars story, when I worked at Hasbro, the first thing that they put me on, um, because I used CG a little bit for my senior thesis, I did a, a senior thesis on a show called Snow Crash. And the, I used a little bit of CG to illustrate and animates how some of like like YT skateboard folded from this to that. It's a great, great, great show. Uh, it was a book, and now it's going to be a show on HBO. But it's just a great ideas in that book. Um, and I knew a little bit CG, a little bit. And but when I came to Hasbro, I might as well have been a, a master at CG because nobody else knew it at all. <laughs> and uh, we did a lot of really cool stuff with CG. So this image here is a, is a is an animation clip of um, this. I did this drawing, and then I built it in 3D Studio Max. Um, and it was the first Rebel attack on an Imperial ship. And it was this. It was these. There's other drawings of this as a. It's actually a fishing boat, and the Rebels would take these boats and kind of repurpose them um, into attack fighters because nobody would ever suspect they were, they were not fishing boats and i have another drawing where they're catching fish over you know just put in in their natural environment sort of thing but that's sort of my career is in telling stories through the visuals so i always just drew the stuff out and had a story for everything so when the transformers when the hassenfeld brothers asked us do the transformers um they first asked us to do like uh i think it was like 
kitchen appliances and refrigerators and all of us were like oh that sounds horrible and somebody said animals and i said i think i can do that i think i can do that um and i said can i write the story because it doesn't make any why would they be animals it doesn't make any sense so i said can i write the story uh and nobody else wanted to write the story so they let me write the story so i wrote the story about them using energon to transform into animals that protected their bodies and and it just became the story not because i was the best writer because nobody else wrote it <laughs> and um being in the right place at the right time yeah well i was pushy too right you have to be both and so i knew cg going back to the cg so i did these vehicles that i like to see them open up and fold up and we had some incredible modelers physical models that can build and animate real physical things and i could never do that um, actually, that's one of the reasons I wanted to quit school. I didn't have that skill of building stuff, but I could build stuff on the computer. And uh, one of the first things that the project, the, one of the first projects I got was I was put on the special concepts team. We were, Hasbro was trying to get, at the time it now was called Hasbro, was trying to get the license of Star Wars to, and make sure, get it back for episode one. And we were competing for the license with Mattel and maybe some other company, I think Trendmasters, but really Mattel. And they put me in charge. They put me in the team because I knew CG. Nobody else knew CG. So they wanted me to animate stuff. So we created like a two-minute animation for George Lucas that had all our concepts in it. I don't have them here because I didn't design the concepts, but it was pretty cool stuff. And it had that attack on the first Imperial ship. Um one of the things it had was you see this robot on the right, like so this droid, this Imperial droid, you could see like inspiration of it in, in a lot of the stuff they did in the Clone Wars. There's actually characters that look a lot like this in Clone Wars. Um, and what we had envisioned at the time was that these, the Imperial ship would drop these pods that would just like land on the ground and then open up from like a little box. And the reason they did that for us is because we want to make things toyetic, right? We want to make them as, as, as cool to operate. They're toys, so we want to make them do stuff. And we were working on the Transformers at the same time. So a lot of that thinking went into this, right? Like, so, okay, so you're going to fight, a, you need an army. So where are you going to get these droids from? And how are you going to, so let's put them in these little boxes and just make them, like they just open up. And a lot of that made it into episode one. If you see the battle droids, they the same idea. Like they put these things in and they would open up and they they became uh the army that fought the Gungans. All that stuff came from Hasbro. And it was it was actually the intention of George Lucas, because he already had his own artist. The only stuff he wanted from us was stuff that was like that, that did stuff, toyetic stuff. So we did a lot of really fun stuff. We did all the pod, we, we did the early pod racers on the first version of the script. We had a script that the pages were red. <laughs> it was a, like a book, but the pages were red, not white. And if we photocopied it, not that I did, but I was told that if you photocopied it, it turned black. So people would know that you, you know, try to photocopy and get in trouble. But in the first version of the script that we had, um, it had a, a a pod race. It wasn't a pod race. It was a, a any ship in a you know galaxy race. Like you had to make a ship and just race it. 
like a cannonball run sort of yeah thing? like a cannonball run whatever it is just bring it uh but you were limited in the kind of horsepower and i think they changed that to be more you're limited to have pod racers but in the original version it was just like people putting stuff together and that's what this is here like i guess you don't know you can't see the original drawing this is one of the first racers and it just broke down and these guys are like what's going on here here's another racer here like there was just a lot of stuff that we were just completely blue sky design stuff on it a lot of fun and they brought the racing back to the this season of the bad bad they did it was very cool stuff but you can see like i was trying to figure out like what do rebel ships look like that aren't x-wings that aren't y-wings what, what would they what else would they look like so i was designing a whole bunch of stuff like this that that just to kind of come up with new shapes and forms and this is a snow crash i did this in college one of my favorite characters ever yt um and then this is at soda sir engine osborne f design i did a lot a lot of teenage mutant ninja turtles Cadillacs and dinosaurs. We had a whole bunch of NFL cars. The, you know, this is Chicago Bears. Um, just a bunch of stuff. Cadillacs and dinosaurs was popular because Jurassic Park was popular. And then in the back here, it's just kind of a funny story. Um, we did a series of dragons. This is actually from Hasbro. I don't know why it's on this page, but this is from Hasbro. So we did a series of dragons for Braveheart. Remember that movie? Yeah. Is it Brave and the Dragonheart? Dragonheart. Not pretty hard, and they just didn't sell very well. And a Chinese restaurant chain bought them because they were beautiful dragons. They really were. And a Chinese restaurant uh, chain bought them. And one time I was in New York and I saw one of them just kind of decorating the the restaurant. It's just so funny. They didn't sell. Very well. Uh, and this is like some of the stuff that uh, I was doing. Or I was learning how to do digital. This is my digital. Now, what's interesting here is that you'll see that we mainframe was working at an Austin Powers show. So that never went anywhere, but we had done a whole bunch of tests on it. And then this is, for, is from the Aliens TV show that we were doing. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's going to be more about this in the reboot um, documentary, but that we had uh, about 15 minutes of an aliens TV show uh, where the space Marines go and invade, you know, it's just kind of, what does it look like if we took aliens and created a space Marine show? And we put a lot of time into that at mainframe. And then uh, I can show you this. And then, so that's my early work. And then after that, when I decided that, you know, my art's pretty good and I'm surviving but if I keep, there are people that are much better than me. And if I don't kind of elevate my job role, I'm going to like, I'm, I'm going to either break down, kill myself or just lose my job. So I became an art director. Um, and some of the projects that you see here are all the, the jobs that I've had since then at Disney. And um, to me, it's much more fulfilling because yes, sometimes I do draw some of these things, but I I work with the artist to make sure that the creativity that's in my mind gets better executed by people that are more talented than I am. Well, I mean that's that's kind of right up there with the you know the way George would do things. I mean he would 
tell the story and people like Ralph McQuarrie or or Joe Johnston or um, Colin Cantwell would put pencil to paper and come up with things based on that description, based on that story that George shared with them. Yeah, some of these things, I, I it's, it's just gorgeous, right? We, and I don't like to be tied down to a style, so working with different artists allows you to do different things. But I, I feel like I learn every style because of the projects that I've worked on. So a lot of the stuff that we that I'll do, it, it, it looks very, very different from something else that I did. We did the Imagine Dragons game, which was number one for a while. Live Earth, Ariana Grande, you see Bono, you see Maroon 5, Katy Perry. So this is the kind of stuff that I really, it frees me up to design stuff without having to worry about doing the final line work. So it's a lot of fun. We did Ellen as an elephant. Ellen Fent, get it? Um, origami even. Yeah. Well, that's the style here. Is it what is, you know, just trying to do something that's different. Um, here's the more origami artwork. You're always trying to do something in a creative field that's just no one has done before. I I used to look at reference very early on, but I didn't ever want to copy somebody's work. So I always try to innovate and I did leave it up to the artist. It's funny because I actually got in trouble for this today. So today, one of the art teams in the company that I run um, was mad because I was giving direction and not letting them explore. But the reality is that we have a very tight time frame and I didn't want to let them explore because we have to get this done yesterday. So in my mind, I am better at the creative stuff. They're better at the art. So I'm just going to tell them what to do. <laughs> Right. Well, um, and there's there's a time and a place for that. And so if you're not if you're not at that, you don't have the schedule to be wildly creative. That then you gotta just step up and get done. Yeah, and that's that's what I do. Like, so here's some Star Wars stuff. Star Wars. We did a lot of this stuff in for Asia. Now I cannot tell you about this project here, Dawn of the Jedi, but I can tell you that they're gonna still make it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, there's some stuff here that uh, I know I'm not allowed to talk about because they're still doing it. So there's some um, really cool ideas here. We built this game, Fruit Wars, which was uh, like Fruit Ninja. It It's just fantastic. It, it really was fantastic. And and we Disney killed it before we released it. I never really understood why we didn't do it. These are cut scenes for Fruit Ninja. And what's funny here is that the Ewoks are telling the story of the explosion of the Death Star using like fruit. You see, like <laughs> here's a Millennium Falcon made out of fruit. Here's the Death Star made out of a melon. If you is look at the X wings, you see the X wings made out of bananas. Oh goodness! Oh, here's one right here. That's some funny stuff. And that we'll skip that. <laughs> so we did a lot of in Asia. The style was different. So you'll see like the big head style. These are mock-ups that we did for games that we were making. We actually prototyped a lot of this stuff. Like So these games were real that we could play them. Uh, Disney was very particular about the kind of games they put out. That's how I met Heads. That's how we became very close friends. He would approve this stuff, and then both of us would get like super surprised why they never made this stuff. I'm like, these games are great. They really, some of them were really fantastic. 
again, this is another game. These are actual stills from a game, not just art. Like we made this. So this is like a side-scrolling kind of game. Yeah, on a mobile phone. Like this was an actual game. And this is Fruit Ninja backgrounds for Fruit Ninja or Fruit Jedi. And here's a still. This is from Fruit oh my Jedi. Goodness. This is Pocket Jedi, different game. The Rancor is fantastic. Yeah, all these are these are screenshots. This isn't art anymore. I mean, it is art, but these are from the game. That so you see here, this is running almost at 60 frames a second back in 2015. That's a lot for a phone to push. But we were really good at like engineering, you know, and 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 not me, but the teams were really good at engineering. And we were the marriage between art and science is something that we we that I worked on a mainframe. We we really made an art form of it. And I brought that with us to uh to, to Disney Studios. And how was, long are we were you at Disney Studios? Uh seven years. We did a lot of stuff. These are skins for a game that was canceled, unfortunately. Actually, we did test this, and I think there's a lot of there's some videos on the internet about this game. Attack, uh, Star Wars Attack Squadrons. The reason that this game was killed was because they signed a deal with Electronic Arts, and that deal prohibited us from releasing the game that we had already finished. It was crazy. A lot of people were pissed off. So you were able to buy these skins for your X-Wing. Here's Biggs. Here's Wedge. Aren't these cool? They're fantastic. Yeah. These are the good guys. This makes me think of the like when Sabine would 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 paint the 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 tie fighter in Star Wars Rebels. Well, you know, we know, you know, the guy who made the show, the producer of that show, the original um uh Greg Wiseman, he was a very good friend of mine from right from before that time and he had all access to the, all these drawings. Everybody did. Disney has a folder where everybody can access everything. Concept drawings. This Boba is what, Fett, what Boba Fett took a million Falcon. <laughs> so these are some of the 3D models that we made for the game. I mean, look how good this one is. This is just great. Is that a Mon Cali frigate? Is that what that is? What, this? Yeah. Yeah, that's the medical frigate. Yeah. And then, of course, Marvel, which where we had a couple of number one games that we did. If you've been to my office, I have that signed version of it over there, with this big poster here. But we were in Entertainment Weekly for one of the best games. So I forget how many characters we did. It was like 30 that were in the game. You could transform into all of them. This was a huge game in Asia. And then we did Guardians of the Galaxy, same style. Because what did they have a house style for what we were doing? And this was just one of the most exciting projects that never got made. We did a series of fighting games where we took the artwork from the comic books and, and recreated it exactly. Remember I told you that thing? We had the marriage of art and technology. Yeah. The store, line for line, was from a drawing. But it, we had it in 3D. And this is before anybody started doing This is back in 2014. So we were doing some really, really advanced stuff um, that scared the crap out of Disney. And of course, I worked on Kingdom Hearts for five years. A lot of that Kingdom Hearts artwork. It's just gorgeous. 
Ah, Wreck-It Ralph <laughs> never made it to the final game. So what's interesting about this stuff is um, I'm going to show you something in a second. These are like sketches for posters. This, th these here are actually 3D, 3D models. They're not paintings. Um, they're just absolutely stunning 3D models. The guy who put this together, uh, Keith Whalen, it took him about five months to figure out how to get a CG model made back in 2015 to look identical to a Disney scene. And I mean identical. So you could actually zoom in and around? Of these you, could walk, you could walk around. It was 3D. These two here in the top top left. <clears throat> it was, it was, let me see if we have another one. Hold on. Yeah, so this is the, so if you look at this, this is the painting. This is a 3D model right here. We didn't finish the background yet, but this was a 3D model. This is not a painting. My goodness. Yeah, look at the, this is the Kingdom Hearts version of the Grand Central Station from King, from Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> And that's the uh, fix it Felix's house up above, right? Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah, because I was in the game. You get to go in there. So these are all our models and King Candy. And then we did some, you know, which is probably a thousand costumes. I mean, a thousand. You know, Peter Pan, Snow White, Cinderella, armor. This is uh, Tron on the bottom the the wasted and then you have um the characters from um Lilo and Stitch Lilo right? and Stitch and then this is Aladdin and then the greatest project that never happened um Disney has a lot of projects this one took us three or four years this is Epic Mickey history and the idea is that all of Disney is a history book. And actually, they took this history book and used it for another project, which it just came out like six months ago. Um, that Disney RPG game or online RPG took this story, which is great because I didn't want it to die. So we, we created the Disney history book. And the Disney history book is, is the original drawings for all the characters. It goes into the book and it becomes like, man, it, that's how it comes to life. So Oswald, we had just gotten the rights to Oswald back, so we wanted to use Oswald uh, in a game. Um, the team for this was huge. I mean, it was a big team. I don't know, 100 people. It was a big team. Oh, my goodness. And uh, the idea was that the paint somehow became corrupted, and when it became corrupted, the... Uh, let me think back. Oh, the characters that were rejected corrupted the paint they never had a chance to live because they were rejected the concepts so they uh i forget exactly how um corrupted the paint and then the paint became uh, any character with that paint would become evil and then you have to like clean them off and, and fix it so we took all the star wars i mean not star wars we took all of the disney fairy tales and kind of twisted them all so here's like the pirate ship you see the the blot, which is the bad guy in the back. Uh, he always becomes part of the environment somehow. And then you see the captain, Captain Hook, even more evil than usual. 
And you see these little mouse things that kind of distorted mice figures, Mickey Mouse. It, it was some really cool stuff. And then, so this is where we got into a little bit of trouble. I always got in trouble. I can tell you stories about me getting in trouble at Disney. Um, our villain was a guy named Yen Sid. I, I mean, not, not our villain. In Epic Mickey, Yen Sid is the bad guy, which is Disney's Disney spelled backwards. In our story, the people don't realize that the Disney did not design Mickey Mouse or Oswald. It was of iWorks, right? So that's Disney likes to hide that secret. So we created of iWorks as the evil magician. The opposite of Disney is of. And to do it, I had to call his his daughter and get permission from his daughter, Leslie iWorks. Um, and we did. And we put him into the game. It's pretty cool. I think this is a drawing of him here as a wizard. He was mad because he never had a chance to be famous, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, these are some of the boards, some illustrations. This is actually the game, if you can believe that. This is the actual game. It was painted. But you see the artists that we had. It just Our artists were as good as any Disney artist ever. We trained them as the animation style. Karen Morris had a team of people that actually worked on a lot of the films that were working with us. Um, but he, he worked for Don Bluth, you know, with the Dragon's Lair and Space Ace and All Dogs Go to Heaven. So that these are the same people. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so you could see, like, the kind of work ethic that they put to our, our level designs were literally the same process that we put in the movies. And they're gorgeous. Oh, no, and we had hundreds of these things, maybe more than hundreds, definitely hundreds of, of these paintings and drawings. So here's the dumb question from from a from an outsider: Where do these things go? Like what? So whether it's a a physical painting, uh, a digital asset, like what happens when when a project like this is is scrapped? It goes into the into the vault, and then people can access them and see projects as a vault of projects that were canceled. Okay, so it's not like destroyed and, and removed from existence. It still exists somewhere. Yes, but whether anybody actually ever goes there is another story, right? Gotcha. I mean, this is from Wreck-It Ralph, the set from Wreck-It Ralph that we had to rebuild all that stuff. Um, it just, like, the level, people don't realize how much work gets thrown out. I would say 90% of it. Like for every drawing you see here, there's maybe a hundred that aren't here for every one. So it's it's just a lot of and then this is just some other stuff that we put together, art projects. So you can see the one thing I hope shines through is that the art style is always different, right? We're always trying to do new things. So that's sort of how I've made my career of well, um, it's new things, yet there's there's still a, a connection to things that we're familiar with. Whether it's a you know a, a barbarian or a, a dinosaur or even some of the, the the comic book characters, it looks different and it's recognizable. It's quite an interesting balance between both of those things. I think the 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 influence of an art director on a project um, is really 
underrated. Like people will say that it's the 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 design, the the production designers, but the art director, if you have a really good one, can change the scope of a project, make it better, or, or destroy it. And uh, I don't consider myself an artist anymore, but looking back at this stuff, everything that I've ever worked on has been as good as anything anybody else could do. Like I, I, there's no movie show, anything that I'd say, yeah, we've never did that level of artwork. Cause I know we've done, we've done everything. So, you know, and we've done a lot of it. So I guess, I, I guess I am an art director at the very least. Um, some of the shows we know we did, this is back in 20, like 2009, we did a show called a game called Pluto Attacks for Microsoft, and um, in the game, this is when Neil deGrasse Tyson like said that Pluto wasn't they like declassified Pluto as a planet. So of course, all the Plutonians just like attack, and that was the whole basis <laughs> of the game. You can see some. So of instead of getting attacked by Martians, we're getting attacked by Plutonians. Yeah, because we we you know we insulted their planet. These are some of the characters there. So even in a silly game like this, I mean, some of these designs are just fantastic, you know. I love some of the color schemes too. I love doing colors. Uh, colors are one of the things that I spend a lot of time on to make sure that they, everything looks. Th this is from Hasbro, like Hasbro, and, and they teach us that colors are the way that you take a boring thing and make it exciting. So I've always tried to hold on to that theory. Some beautiful stuff here. And creepy, but yeah, there you go. So, you mentioned that you have been out that you did did work for Disney, and and so mm -hmm. tell me the story or tell us the story of what it was like to go out to Skywalker Ranch. Like, how did that come about, and what was what was the experience like? Oh yeah, I actually I can put the pictures on the screen too. Um, that which is San Francisco. I really did that for the kids. Um, I wanted the, the kids, my kids are never really huge Star Wars fans, and they still are not. And we went to San Francisco and I begged Renee, I said, Renee, please let me stop by the ranch. Um so I could show the kids Star Wars. Maybe they'll get into it, you know, who knows? So when we went there, look how young they were. Like Roman is six foot one now, so it's funny. Um, this is the original Darth Vader outfit. The original Boba Fett. The how first old are they? In the, they they got to be what? Uh, hold on. Uh, 2015. Seven. They were eight. Okay. A bunch of awards there. You can see them in there. There's a, well, hello there. These are the original maquettes, right? They have the coffee shop there was called uh, Java the Hut. I'll skip these. Oh. San Francisco, hold on. And then this is the um, the incredible view from the kitchen. I mean, from the internal restaurant, the, the cafeteria. Look at that view. Is that crazy? Wow. This is the original ET. This is an ILM, right? So this is the original ET. 
Uh, why did I have this picture? I don't know. This is that dummy of um, from Men in Black. <laughs> oh, some more pictures here. This is awesome. Uh, the famous Ooh, the famous, famous Yoda. Yep. There it is. Uh, hold on, some other stuff here. We actually went to, we took a tour of the baseball stadium. Uh, let me see. Oh, so yeah, ILM has this incredible, like all the the, the cats for Jurassic Park are there. Original story, and so if you look at this, it shows you that outfit was used in this scene. That's the original uh, stormtrooper scene. This is from Star Trek, I think. Yeah, Star Trek motion picture. As we have a hut. So th this is they have a series of paintings on the wall that are that are backgrounds for movies that are just stunning. Because in a movie, this is from Die Hard, I think. Yeah, Die Hard 2. Remember that was in the airport? Oh yeah, New York City. Yeah, well it was a it was a painting. Isn't that crazy? It was a painting. And it looked real. You didn't even know. What was this from? Star Trek, I think it was. The cafeteria again. BT. Yeah, they got the Slimer. Look at all the guts of Slimer. The mechanical bits. Oh, my yeah, look goodness. Look at all that stuff. Is that crazy? It's a lot of wires and just one head. They got, look at Roman's hat. <laughs> there he is. The rap, look at the ILM stage raptors. They're all over the campus. This is from, I forget what this is from. That, is that from Lemony Snicket? Yeah, that's it. This is huge. It looks small. It's actually about seven or eight feet tall. It's very, very big. Yeah, I think the term miniature gets uh, misunderstood sometimes. This, uh, every movie they ever worked on, I mean, this is an enormously long hallway where they have every movie they ever worked on, the cast pictures of it. Yeah, that was eight years ago. Think about how many, how many more movies they've done since then. Yeah, they have the Avengers, Jurassic World, and that's, that's that was the last one they did at that point. I think it took a hot, yeah, there it is. So that was, yeah, 2015. If you look here, though, it's pretty funny the way this one, because they have people like running away from dinosaurs and stuff. Someone's getting eaten. I know someone's getting eaten. Yeah, there it is. Someone's head got eaten by a dinosaur. Someone fell. It's pretty funny stuff. I mean, it's ILM, right? So what do you expect? Then they have um, Ray Harryhausen signature. He signed the walls. He's actually on the walls. So of all the makers that you, you're aware of, who who do you think has been the most impressive for you? Oh God, all of them. I mean, everybody's impressive in a different way. If I was to say the most impressive person that I've ever worked with, the original RTD two and C three PO. Um, geez. Because that's one thing I think is is special about. I don't know. Star I mean, Wars. 
and even ILM is that fans like us, yes, we know the actor's name and so, but we sometimes know the the artist or the 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 photographer, you know, the the photographer or the the producer or the scriptwriter, just as clearly as the the people who show up on the screen playing the 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 title roles. I think that everybody that works at this level is incredible. They're they're all great at doing something at a very high level, but they're all different from each other too. So I, I couldn't tell you who the most incredible person was other than all of them in their own unique way, which is not, which is, and for me, once I made that decision not to be an artist, I was able to appreciate them without jealousy, which sounds petty, but it is petty because you know you compare yourself to these guys because you're in women because you're working, sometimes competing with them. So once you leave that behind and you get to work with them, it becomes just much easier for you just to enjoy the craft and enjoy what they're doing and not feel so insecure. Um, so I, I've had the, the pleasure, the, the benefit. I've worked with a lot of really great people. Um, and uh, I guess I'm lucky that way. And yeah. I want to pick up on one thing that you said, because I think it's uh, important to consider. And it's that you have all these individual contributors who are working at these high level of their craft, whether it's drawing, painting, building, filming, whatever. And it's the collection of all of those individual contributions that makes the finished thing so magical so special so so remember so memorable the coordination is incredible and and I, I mentioned that story about the art team today the when you work at this level it isn't just about being good. It's about being good and being fast and knowing what your role is and not trying to do more or less. It's it's just being part of a machine, of extremely well-run machine. Everybody knows their place. Everyone knows what they do and they contribute to it and they don't let anybody down and they don't try to do, try to do too much because that also creates problems. So... In that example I gave today, we have a very short turnaround on something and, and the artist wanted to be more creative, but we just don't have the time. Like, And a lot of people will say, well, more time gets more creative and you get better results. I don't, I've never found that to be true. Sometimes the best or second idea are the best ideas and you don't need to do much more exploration. You just kind of spin your wheels a little bit. Um, but in, 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 I guess where I've been lucky is I've worked with some of the best people with some of the best results, but I've learned how to create those sort of systems that let everybody fit in their place and be more effective to create. So where all the parts fit into a bigger hole. Um, and you saw an example of that when we did the, 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 the Georgie awards, that the Georgie awards came together at the very last minute. Right. Um, and sometimes you can just do it. You just do it very, and, and the next Georgia Awards, now that we know how to do it, the first one, we'll do it even better. So 
once you get rid of ego and everyone knows what they're doing, it just becomes a fantastic experience. And so speaking of, you know, so we've gone from the, the big side of things, Star Wars, and you, you mentioned the Georgie Awards. So what was it about Demetrius, Stephen, Dexter that, that you thought would make a, a great contributions to this thing that, that we started several years ago? And because it was it was your invitation to this to the show that has gotten us to where we are. So what 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 do you what, how do you want to brag about those fellows? Uh, I have no, I this just nothing more than enthusiasm, and and I was looking for an excuse to to hang out with everybody again because it's been so long since I, I've been able to hang out with those guys. It was just an excuse to. To hang out and talk but i mean the enthusiasm they had for star wars that was like a prerequisite right if you didn't like star wars you just weren't going to be on the show <laughs> but they do as you know you probably figured it out they love star wars so that's something that that just kind of worked itself out it yeah was, I, I feel uh, blessed having to have had the opportunity to, to spend as much time with them as i have working with them on our, our episodes and and i i absolutely positively love getting the 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 text from you guys at all hours of the day did you see this clip did you hear about this oh, yeah. did you know that that mando and grogu have another another uh, youtube video out there so it's nice to see even though we're not we're not in in physical contact with each other i mean steven and and demetrius live on the left coast and the three of us you know dexter you and i live here on the on the right coast uh, so we're not always physically in the same spot it is nice to be connected with each other that way in in a way, it's actually I wouldn't say it's better, but Zoom. I mean, COVID sort of opened up different ways that people can talk to each other, and it in a way is very convenient because I could spend time with my friends without having to fly five hours to Los Angeles or, uh, you know, drives nine hours to Cincinnati. It's like you and I are talking. I don't have to drive to Mays Landing. It's become very convenient these tools for us to be able to talk with each other um, when we have the time and and when we make the time and talking about Star Wars. It, it, it The podcast allows me to find a purpose to enjoy Star Wars as opposed to just getting it done because I, uh, like, I don't talk about it a lot, but I work like 12, 14 hours a day. Um, and if it wasn't for this podcast, I think I would just try to speed rush watching everything, right? <laughs> because I just, but it, it gives me a purpose to enjoy it, sit down and take something and, and to be able to talk about it because you want to pay attention to the details because you know it's important in a conversation. But if it wasn't for the show, I don't know if I would have, I would ever, you know, take the time to to to, to notice the details of, of things which is sad but i enjoy working so it's not that sad but finding ways to relax is very difficult for me to do so this is fun and you, you shared one of the lessons that you learned um in college from stanley and what i'd like to do as we get close to, to wrapping up our time together tonight um what lesson do you think you've taken from Star Wars and have applied to your to your life, if there is one? Well, I have the tattoo, the Rebel tattoo, right? And the it 
I got the rebel tattoo because it represents what I, I, I like to think what I do is just go your own way. Do what you think is right. Do not give up against overwhelming odds. Um, I've done four startups and each one of them was a, was a nightmare. Most people would never be able to do it. Not because they're better or I'm better than them just because of the stress. The stress is ridiculous. But, and most people will tell you like, well, you're never going to get that finished. You're never going to do that. No one's going to be able, I, that's such a common occurrence in my life. You're never going to be able to get that, pull this off. You're stupid. And I said, well, I think I can do it. And then proving other people wrong, being that rebel, um, doing the thing that you think is right is, is part of the reason I, that I had the tattoo it's, it represents a, a mode of being that, that really resonates with me. So would I have been a rebel in Star Wars? I have no idea. I, mean, I, I never really went in real life protesting. I did that one time, but I've never really done a lot of that combative, confrontational stuff in real life. Um, but I like to think that I do it in different ways. So that's why I have that. that that's what I take out of Star Wars is the, the rebels. Yeah, well, rebellion doesn't necessarily always have to to come with a a weapon in your hand. Sometimes rebelling is is making a different choice than the masses, or 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 thinking a thought that is yours and yours alone without the the burden of anyone else on you. So I, I thank you for sharing that with us. I really appreciate it. Well, that's right. On 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 Andor, I don't really connect. I love Andor himself, Cassian, but I really connect more with Luthen and Mon Mothma because. They're the ones sacrificing their their lives in a very different way. You know, that speech that Luthen gives that, you know, I'm working for a sunrise I know I'll never see. And and Mon Mothma, really, the whole family is at stake, which is startups. That's what we do. Our whole family's future is based on whether we succeed or not. Very different than people working a job nine to five. So that stuff really resonates with me because I understand that mentality and those characters are written extremely realistically. Um, do I want to be, you know, the rebel pilot? Sure. But I'm more the, the, the Luthan and, and, and Mon Mothma type. If I was really, if I was in a Star Wars universe, I'd be working with them. <laughs> it's, well, nuts. It's, it's nuts. It's, 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 I gave up the art world, right? So then you become, your creativity is put into the companies that you put together, but it's really, 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 really hard. <laughs> and it's it, uh, the fact that, that that rebellion is 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 part of your DNA, literally and figuratively. Um, it it allows you that that freedom to choose, that freedom to 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 act, or that that inspiration to act. It is freedom, and that's that's it's freedom to not have someone else tell you what to do. I mean, you're always going to have somebody telling you what to do. You live in a society, but as a whole, you dictate more of your own life than most people do, which is what I enjoy out of. Well, I want to thank you uh, on behalf of all of the the fans of the the forces behind Star Wars. Thank you for taking this time and. Um, let me bombard you with a whole bunch of questions to find out about you as a maker and 
So, um, yeah, absolutely, positively love doing this. And uh, I tip my hat to you in, in appreciation for, for making this possible. Well, I think we're going to have to interview you um, at some point here and, and figure out how to reverse this on you. I think it's fair that I do it. But I also think I want to get Steve. Steve's really good at this stuff, too. Um, no, this has been fun. You know, this has been fun. So let's uh, look forward to doing the next podcast with you and listening to you interview the other folks uh, as well. All here on the forces behind Star Wars. So thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, Ken.